The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to Cars and Culture. I'm former automotive news publisher Jason Stein in Detroit. When it comes to American icons, few are more recognizable than the yellow and black signs at rental counters at airports across the United States. Hertz. Go back to the days of the Ford Model T when an ambitious pioneer named Walter Jacobs started renting his 12 cars out of a garage in Chicago. It was 1918, and for $10 a day, you could rent one of Jacobs' cars. The company was actually called Rent-A-Ford then rent-a-car, and finally, the yellow drive-yourself system. Five years later, he sold the company to John Hertz, and Hertz, as we know it, was born. It is, quite simply, a cultural American icon. Shania Twain sang for it. Let's go, girls. O.J. Simpson ran for it. Nobody does it better than Hertz. Nobody does it better. Hertz leads the others by far. Nobody does it better for you. Hertz, a superstar. Nobody has more of what it takes to rent you a Fairmont, Mustang, LTD, or other fine car faster. Hertz, a superstar. And all the more stunning to consider this about Hertz. In May of last year, the nation's second largest car rental agency filed for bankruptcy protection after the combination of nearly $19 billion of debt and 700,000 idle rental cars. Hertz, which operates other brands including Thrifty and Dollar, was one of the first major companies to file for bankruptcy when the pandemic halted virtually all travel last year. It was the highest profile bankruptcy of the downturn and a black mark on business in 2020. Carl Icahn, Hertz's largest shareholder, had a nearly 39% stake in the company. He sold his 55 million shares for an average price of 72 cents a share. His investment generated a loss of $1.8 billion. Amazingly, a year later, it was out of bankruptcy, under new ownership, and benefiting from the rush to buy used vehicles, of which Hertz had a lot of. Hey, take a look at shares of Hertz. They're up more than... Well, they were up more than 20% a little bit earlier, and now they are once again, and they're up more than 100% in the past few weeks, as that company looks to be nearing its exit from bankruptcy, a process that has locked some big-name private equity firms in a battle over the company's future. Hertz sold more than 200,000 of its 650,000 vehicles during the pandemic, when demand for used cars was skyrocketing. In March, a group of investors led by Knighthead Capital Management and Sertaris Management provided Hertz with a $5.9 billion infusion of capital. Enter Greg O'Hara, Hertz's new board chairperson and the founder and senior managing director of Sertaris. He sees plenty of opportunity in car rentals. The new Hertz will look a lot different than the old. It'll launch new customer service models that will eliminate the need for people to stand in line to get keys to a rental car. Hertz will add more electric and alternative fuel vehicles to its fleet in the future. And then there's the use of data, telematics, and autonomous opportunities down the line. With a whole new model, Hertz is on track for a remarkable 2021. By some measures, the company may be stronger now than it was during COVID. Greg O'Hara is a travel industry expert, having earned his reputation as a travel kingpin. He has a phrase, it's activity or liquidity. And in travel, he says, if you run out of ideas, you better get liquid. Well, Greg's got lots of ideas for this American icon, and he's my guest on Cars and Culture with Jason Stein. I'm Greg O'Hara, and this is Cars and Culture with Jason Stein. Well, welcome to the program, Greg. What a pleasure to meet you and to talk about one of America's most recognizable names, of course, the black and yellow of Hertz, an American business icon for a kid from Canada. It's a pretty unique position to be in, right? It is. It's uh, it's both unique and humbling, and depending on on which way you look at it and on what day. Yeah, exactly. I want to talk about Hertz for a moment, but I also want to get into your history. You you've said that you're you're an immigrant to the United States to some extent, and then privileged to be there. 
Explain mm-hmm. what you mean by that. When you grow up in Canada, you, most of the people in Canada live within, within spitting distance of the U.S. border. And you spent, you get ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN piped into your home every day. And one of the things about that is you start learning all of these things about America. In many cases, I don't know if anyone else finds this, but some cases the kids uh, learn in Canada learn more about American history and American geography than the people in in the United States. It's so <laughs> true. It's such it's such an important place to the rest of the world, and we are so proximal to it. So growing up, I don't think there's any place else I wanted to live. Um, Getting an education in the United States was important to me. Uh, living in the United States as, was important to me. And, and the reason I feel privileged is because, um, you know, I, I stayed in Canada for until my late teens or early 20s, a little bit of back and forth, but mostly late teens. And the U.S. has been really good to me. One of the things that, um, that I'll say is, you know, in the United States, it doesn't matter who your father is or, um, or necessarily what school you went to or who your friends are. Everybody is judged on their own merits. Where Canada, and I'm, I love Canada as a country, but I've always said that Canada helps you to the middle. If you're, if you're down on your luck, they help you to the middle. But if you're an ambitious person, the system also helps you to the middle. And so... I don't think I've ever heard that stated that way. That is so true. Yeah. And so I think uh, being in the United States is, a, is, is possibly the best place to live in the, in, in the whole wide world. And, and I feel privileged to live here and I feel privileged to be, uh, that's a whole different program about how the United States doesn't get treated fairly around the world for all the kindness, kind, acts of kindness that they do. But um, I, I love it here. You're not a car guy per se, but the car business helped you from the start. And when you were starting your own business and sold your first business to Ross Perot, none other than Ross Perot, yeah. you, you had, you had an, uh, a creation, the automated time systems, yes, punch clocks that self-tabulated, mm-hmm. sold to Honda and to Chrysler. You were in the car business from the start. <laughs> that is a very generous characterization, Jason. <laughs> um, no, I, I was kind of a geeky physicist that wanted to make money selling software. And, and today, while that's a super popular job, in the early 90s, it wasn't at all clear that computers would take over the world like they have today. So we had a bit of an uphill battle uh, with that company, convincing people that uh, computers could even do what, what we say they would. Uh, you had to be a really good coder because you didn't have a lot of memory to work with and you didn't have a lot of computing power to work with. But I, I like cars. I've always liked cars. Um, I, I would say that I'm not a car guy per se. Um, you know, I don't have dozens and dozens and dozens of them in the garage. Um, I don't think I could repair one if my life depended on it, you know, short of changing a tire. Uh, but, but I always like cars and the statement they made for North American culture. Tell me about your time with Ross Perot. Oh, it was great. So after they bought the company, um, I went and worked in various different areas of the company. I traveled, I got, it was the first time where I seriously got to travel the world. I went to India and I, all over Europe. Uh, It was a great time for me, uh, you know, being a young man in in his twenties and representing a name that was, that was known the world over. I had a, uh, we did, you know, obviously Perot Systems had a had a lot of uh, clients in the automotive industry. And so we we worked a lot with the automotive clients. But, you know, even visiting, you know, a car company that maybe some of the people, some of your listeners aren't familiar with, but Mahindra in, of course, out of in, India. in India and seeing how cars got made there versus cars got made everywhere else was, you know, eye popping. I, I had a great time there. And then uh, I got a I got a job at Sabre, and that's kind of what got me into the travel industry. And in fact, just prior to that, one small airline deal out of Colorado Springs, an outsourcing deal for Western Pacific Airlines, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. That's <laughs> the Sabre hiring me it was, uh, uh, I think, a now defunct uh, airline, but it was in Colorado Springs, and we did a uh, outsourcing deal for them, and I, I led that deal. You were fired from the job at Perot Systems the same day that you accepted the job at Sabre. So timing was everything for you, Greg. 
<laughs> you 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 did good G2. You uh yes. Um by the way, for your listeners, I actually got fired at Perot Systems and then got the job. It just happened to be in the same day. I got a call from a recruiter and since I needed a job. I took the job um, at at, uh, at Perot Systems right away, so I wasn't really unemployed for more than twenty five hours. <laughs> That's great. And then the world of travel opens up for you, and so this undergraduate physicist, as you said, a tech guy, starts to get into the travel business, which is ultimately going to lead us, I think, to the Hertz story here in a moment. But tell me a little bit about. Carlson Wagon Lead, uh, Travel Leaders, um, American Express Global, sure. and, and the interconnections of all those things. Yeah, so what, what I'll just do a little bit of chronology quickly, and then if you sure. want to revisit it, you can. Um, so I went to work at Sabre, and that was a great place to learn about the travel business because it connected everything. It connected travel agents to airlines to cruise lines and all these different kinds of things. And then I didn't get fired from that job, but, but probably constructively fired from that job, I would say. Um, and I left the company and uh, I, I moved back to Canada uh, to work with um, uh, some uh, telecommunications company up there for a couple of years and try to figure out what I wanted to do. And I met some people from Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, which uh, for those of you who don't know, is a, is a really big investor. One of the largest uh, in the world. That doesn't sound like it's very big, but it's a big, big, big place. Uh, and they gave me hundreds of millions of dollars to try to go find a company. And that company ended up being a competitor of Sabre called Worldspan. And I did that deal in around 2002, 2003. I sold the company to Blackstone in 2006 and then went, went to work for J.P. Morgan Chase. And so at J.P. Morgan Chase, I was in the private equity division uh, called One Equity Partners. I worked for a fa another fantastic guy named Dick Cashin. Did not get fired from that job, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, uh, good for me. And um, and I worked for Dick, and and he was big on letting me invest in travel and travel services companies. So we bought travel leaders. We bought a piece of travel port. We bought uh, Carlson Wagonly. We bought all kinds of different things. And then I became a balance sheet CIO at J.P. Morgan Chase in the Special Investments Group, um, which allowed me to invest across a range of activities. Uh, when it became clear that that job was going to be kind of a long-burning job, um, I decided to leave in 2012. And I had a couple of ideas. I wrote down on a little, you know, as you do on a little pad of paper, what I wanted to do. And so I bought an asset back from, from Dick, this company called Travel Leaders, now known as Internova. And I went down and saw uh, Ken Chenault and Steve Squeery at, at American Express and convinced them to partner the travel business with me in, in about a $900 million investment. Um, and then we bought a few other companies. And this was kind of like a uh, it's called a pledge fund. It's it's you have a few investors and it was. I'm not allowed to say the name, which is silly, but you'll figure out what it is. A large endowment in the Northeast, uh, university endowment in the Northeast. Mm -hmm. uh, also, I uh, had BlackRock and I had uh, QIA. And so they gave me enough money to kind of like a hunting license. But the problem with doing that is it's, imagine going deer hunting or bear hunting and you walk into the woods without a gun. And when you find the deer, you have to say, stay right there until I go back to my truck and get right my, back. But yeah. So uh, we put out a billion seven, which became worth more, a lot more than a billion seven. And in 2000, call it 18. So about four years after we closed Amex, we started to raise a fund um, that became Sertara's holdings. And we own dozens and dozens of things. Now we have three different products. We have a uh, and this will tailor into your next question. We have a long only equities product. We have a real estate product. We have a, a venture capital product. Um, and we have a distressed product uh, uh, partnered with uh, some fantastic guys with, with Tom Wagner at the lead uh, called Nighthead. And, uh, and it was between Sertara's holdings and Nighthead that we were really able to, to make an investment in Hertz. 
So let's get to Hertz. Um, why Hertz? What's the origin of the story? And and what was interesting to you about Hertz? So this is going to sound really odd, but for a guy from the travel from 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 the travel business, I've always wanted to own a rental car company. Um, always, okay. they always seemed expensive to me. They always seemed hard to get, and the reason was was, was twofold. One is the for the average public no one really cares what rental car company they rent from right so so no one has ever said in my entire career avis 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 hurts 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 enterprise 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 it must be that company i will not rent from someone else because if all three companies have a chevy impala all three companies can rent you a chevy impala and interestingly all three companies can rent you that car in pretty much the same spot, right? Mm -hmm. So remember that I can I I have investments in all kinds of distribution companies all over the place, right? And so whether it's Amex or TripAdvisor or anybody, all of these people's people influence who you rent a car from. So for instance, if you go on a website or you call your travel agent, you might care what airline you you fly. You definitely care what destination you're going to, right? You might care on what airline you fly um, because is it direct? Do you have to connect? Do I have a frequent flyer mileage program? You sometimes usually care about the hotel you stay in. You know, does it have a gym? Is it located well? But in, in anyone's history that's living to this, they've, they've almost never said they wanted to rent from a particular place. So distribution has a opportunity to influence who you rent your car from because they are like replicants. They're the same thing, right? So that, that was the first thing. So I could use my distribution knowledge and experience to really improve Hertz or, or whatever rental car sales. The second thing was just everybody out there in the travel business has an idea on how things should operate, right? You know, when you take a flight, you oftentimes are talking to your friends afterwards about, hey, it should have worked this way. They should board the plane that way. Everybody is a jailhouse expert at, true. at, at travel. Yes. And, and I was no different. I was a jailhouse expert on rental car companies. And as technology evolved, for instance, I could never figure out absent your credit card not being in your file or your driver's license expiring or something like that why in the world anyone would ever have to stand in line at a rental car counter? I, 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 I never understood it. So for instance, I'm going to get off the plane. They know what car they're going to rent to me. They could tell me what car they were going to rent. I could walk in, take my phone, walk up to the car and use near field communication, right? To, to open the car, jump in and take off. I, I shouldn't have to talk to anybody if I don't want to, right? Like, I'm not saying there shouldn't be any Hertz employees or anything like that there, but I should be able to do that quickly. I'm a business traveler. You're probably a business traveler. Many people on the uh, listening to us are, are probably business travelers. And that's, that's what I want to do. Other people may want to have a long dialogue about which cars are available. I, I don't, I just want to jump in and go. And so one of the things that was interesting about this is, what other improvements could they make? If you've rented a car in Europe, right? It's interesting because the, before they rent you the car, they give you and the car effectively a proctology exam of walking around the car, what dings are on the car. Because I think, I think car rental companies in the past have made a lot of money by charging you for esoteric cracks or something's gone wrong, you know? And so... Um, wouldn't it be great if you could just use telematics to do that? Did the car get in an accident? Where has the car been? Also, am I renting to you at $34 a day because you're going to drive nonstop between New York and Los Angeles, right? And, and basically drive, you know, three or 4,000 miles across, across, across the country. Or are you, am I renting to you at $34 a day because you're headed six miles from the airport, you're going to park it at the hotel, you then drive two miles to your business meeting and come back. Those are two really different renters, right? And, and the car companies don't know. They have no idea who's renting their cars. So telematics was important. And then the thing that I thought was interesting is, I don't know about anyone else on the phone, but I'm going to get this right, I promise you. Um, I don't know 
how they decide the price of anything. It, like it is absolutely unclear how the price of anything gets calculated. You know, in an airline, there's kind of it gets more expensive as the date approaches. Um, if you're on a flight and you paid a lot relative to what you usually pay for the flight, it usually means the flight is packed. Right. Also, true. you're buying at the last minute. Uh, yeah, I mean, and Correct. any of those variables. Sure. Yeah. In the car rental, I have no idea. And then the last one is. So I'm a skier. Maybe some of you are skiers. Um, I have to fly into Bozeman, Montana every year. And every year they run out of SUVs. Like every <laughs> year. So they know it's snowing. They know they're going to be there. So if you think about it, number one, they don't seem to be able to figure out how to get demand, right? How, where the demand is going to be. They then can't apply the supply to that. And then the third thing they can't do is price it in a way that's intelligible to me, right? In, you know, I get that in the middle of mud season in May, Bozeman, Montana, four-wheel four drive should be cheap if they should be there at all. Maybe they should be in another location or maybe even July, they're more expensive. Christmas, they're going to be more expensive. I get that. But the average person I find is a better consumer when they can figure out how things should work and how things should operate. And this was a little Byzantine. So why has this been so difficult, Greg? Is, is it just the, the, the lack of connections between the technology systems, the lack of telematics, the fact that uh, car rental companies have done things the same way for so long? What's the magic bullet? Why? So I, I think a number of things. Um, if, you, if you look at a car rental company, and you can take two very different positions on this. And if it's okay with you, I'm not going to take one today. Mm -hmm. um, the largest car rental companies are really giant hedge funds, commodity brokers, right? So if you look at the largest car rental companies, one could take the position that the car, the car manufacturers need to manufacture a lot of cars. They sell them to fleet, right? They use them a little bit. And so they can sell them for lower or higher prices based on that use because they can't give them to the dealers and have the dealers use them a little bit, right? So there's a big value arbitrage between I buy a new car and let's say as a fleet manager, I get a discount, right? And then I sell that car, I drive it a little bit and I can maybe even sell it for more than I bought it for, right? That's kind of like the same guy who manages any commodities. And these are unusually large commodity funds, right? These are 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 billion, believe it, $30 billion commodity funds, right? And, and if you, and you're basically buying and selling commodities, right? That, and, and many of the large car rental companies, not Hertz, but many of the large car rental companies, they earn a lot of money by buying and selling these things on a value arbitrage. Mm -hmm. The other thing that car rental companies do is rent them. And if you took a position that the largest car rental companies care more about being in the commodities business than in the rental business, you could understand why the rental experience isn't that great. It's it, all it really does is I need some mechanism of putting miles on cars before I sell them. It's a right? means to an end. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah. And so the other thing is, if you and I, like you're in the, you're in the, uh, in the journalism business and the radio business and all, all kinds of media businesses, I'm in the investment business. Um, if you, if you look at, if you and I were both in the technology business and, and we were trying to figure out where to go work based on being experts in technology, the rental car business might not be top of their list, you know? So what ends up happening is you, you have, in order to take these old economy businesses like Amex GBT and, tra and travel leaders and, you know, our cruise businesses, we have to be really committed to using technology to get the best technologists, right? Um, because otherwise you become, you know, the IT guy who makes the laptops work or puts the security on and pe people, really talented people aren't interested in those jobs. And so I think based on what Hertz has announced it's going to do with, you know, telematics, yield management, fleet management, demand sensing, all of these things. Um, and I hope we get to talk about this later on. 
and electrification, we're seeing a lot more people interested in um, in coming to, in coming to work as a technologist at a car rental company. And I think that's probably true of the other car rental companies too. To like to be fair to them, I, I think like Hertz isn't going to be the only company doing this. I think we're best positioned because we don't have a lot of interim technology standing in our way. Right. Um, but, but I think you're going to find that, that more and more people are going like, you know, if you were going to go work at a, what is Uber, right? Is that a car rental company is Lyft? A, they don't have a problem getting people to come work there that are great technologists. You know, Uber is a great company. Dara is one of the, I think, a, a, a great leader. Uh, Lyft is a good company. Uh, Didi is a good company. But those are effectively car rental companies with a different model. You know, you rent them very short term. They don't own assets. And so I think you're going to find that over time, we're able to be maybe not Uber, maybe not Lyft, but we're able to do use that same technology activation to attract the kinds of people that they've been traditionally able to attract. So when you looked at Hertz uh, at, a, at a point where it was fairly distressed and going through the bankruptcy process, what was most appealing to you then? Um, well, when I first looked at Hertz, I thought it was going to definitely liquidate. I looked at it. And, and so here's the two things I didn't know when I first looked at Hertz. One was that Americans writ large wouldn't really be able to travel internationally, right? And they were going to take domestic vacations, uh, if you've tried to rent a car, anybody on the phone, I apologize for the pricing, but that, that's the demand, right? Um, so what happened is demand went up a, more than 60% over 2019. And I also didn't know there was going to be a chip shortage, right? So supply went down by 50%. And if you remember your high school microeconomics course, when demand goes way up and supply goes way down, price goes way up the curve. Only one reaction to that. <laughs> right. And so what happened is the company I thought was going to liquidate at first. Um, I thought maybe I'd pick up the brand or something like that and I'd reconstitute it. But I don't, I don't know when exactly it became, hey, wait a minute, this is going to be a real thing. Um, but but the company just started earning more and more and more money. And the company started turning around, you know, mostly by exogenous events that weren't inside its control. The company did a really good job. Paul Stone and the management team did a really good job taking cost out. But absent a massive move in demand, as well as the chip shortage, those two things really helped the company out quite a bit. And, the, and I would say my guess is, you know, if not, Hertz will have an excellent year this year. You know, I think if you take a look at their second quarter earnings, I'm trying to make sure I don't do anything wrong here on the call. Um, uh, if you take a look at their second quarter earnings, I, I don't recall a time that Hertz ever earned that much money in the second quarter. Wow. And the confluence of events, I mean, the, the, the pandemic changing individual habits, the chip shortage, which has affected every piece of the auto industry, um, continues to affect the rental industry. And then let's look at pricing. I mean, just just what's happened to pricing in the in the used car market in general. Nobody could have ever predicted that. Never. It's 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 Looney Tunes the the price. But you know, you hear stories of Hawaii. The rental car prices are six hundred a day, so people are renting U-Hauls and driving them around as a proxy <laughs> for uh, rental cars. Um, but like anything else, you know, it's supply versus demand, right? And and. These, car, these companies had a really rough time in 2020, and I would say net-net, they're probably still behind. Um, uh, and we'll get pricing right when things normalize. You know, the chip shortage is going to end in 22 or 23, depending on who, who you believe. Uh, the car rental, the car companies, the OEMs are going to catch up in manufacturing. Um, hopefully, they're going to continue to sell the fleet. Um, and if they do continue to sell the fleet, um, supply will come back in demand will start to normalize and prices will probably go back to about where they were before. So let's talk about one item that you just brought up a moment ago, which is the transition to EVs. And over the next year or two, some say there will be at least a hundred different models that are in the marketplace offered mm -hmm. by automakers. How does Hertz position itself in an era of EVs and then by extension autonomous? So we're going to be as electric as we can, 
Um, and I, I hope we'll be first, uh, but we're going to be as electric as we can. The, the economics. So firstly, you know, you and I can argue what the total life cycle of an EV looks like, right? Um, is it better than an ICE or is it not better than ICE? We can have an intellectual debate about that. But over time, people will figure out how to dispose of the batteries and do all the rest of the things that, that cause uh, angst. In general, um, as far as our ESG mandates go, I think everybody gives electrification or ESG in general a bad time because it's not perfect. Well, well, we're just trying to make it better, not perfect. We think it should be more friendly to the environment than it was last week or last year. So I think EV in general, electric vehicles are, are in general better. And so when you can do that and also provide yourself with superior economics, so they're, they're, they're better for car rental companies to run. They're, they're just cheaper, right? To, in, in almost every, every respect. The last thing is our corporate clients also want them. They're willing to pay more for them. They want to be seen driving electric vehicles to their customers. And as you're well aware, Hertz has a big corporate business. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's, that's the first thing is, is, you know, we're going to try to be buying electric vehicles as many as we can. In fact, I would tell you, uh, we, Jason, we, if we wanted to buy as many as we could, we can't, they, they're, they're not making enough. So um, I didn't know that statistic about a hundred different kinds of vehicles. Great. Just make them. They're and, coming. Great. Yeah, yeah, it's going to okay. take a little while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'll probably be ready to roll them out before we're ready to, before they're ready to sell them to us. This and is I, a huge priority for you. I mean, you, you, you really want to position yourself forward there. Well, we, we sign a treaty as an investor that says we'll do our best for the environment. Um, our investors, uh, we have a lot of university endowments. Uh, we have a lot of sovereign wealth funds who really care about that. And, and so do we. And again, not perfect. Like, listen, if, if I get on another podcast sometime with some environmentalists, I'm sure they could pick holes in what we're doing. But we're just trying to make it better. We'll get it perfect over time, but we're trying to make it better. And then I would say what's going to be interesting is the alchemy of the rollout, right? Um, in general, when you introduce a new product, you might run it out to 10% of each one of your markets. So let's say EVs were introduced into the market and 10% of the cars in Austin would be EVs, 10% of the cars in San Antonio, 10% of the cars in, 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 San, in, in, in Houston might be, might be EVs. That's probably not the way, the right way to do it, right? Because you want to center all the EVs in one spot. So you might get to 80% of the cars in Austin will be EVs. And then only the cars that you'd like to buy an EV, but you can't, um, you know, I'm not Rivian is a great product. Tesla's a great product. General Motors, Ford, they all have great products, right? But I may not be able to buy enough pickup trucks or SUVs at, that, that are also electric vehicles. So I may have to use ICEs for longer. Um, but certainly things like the Tesla Model 3 and its proxy, there's a bunch of those out there. I should be able to get those. And so what I'd rather do is concentrate those city by city, because the other thing people don't think about is how am I going to charge these, right? Like if, if you've ever lived in New York City or Detroit or any of these places, there's a big port authority that looks after the airport. You know, I need, I need permission to electrify the garages. Some of the car rental companies share garages, right? Where they have multiple car rental companies in the same garage. You kind of get on a little bus or a train, you go. So all you need a lot of permission. So we're gonna look for spots, right? That, that do that. Autonomous is super interesting. That's probably the most exciting part of, of being in the rental car business. Tell me about that. If you look about everybody talking about robo taxis, Jason and Greg go home at night and, you know, I'm an early to bed guy. So I'm in bed at 930. I flip on a switch and my car goes out onto the street that I own and earns money while I'm sleeping and comes back home the next day in time to take me to work. That's great. That's a great story. What's interesting is in an autonomous world, that car still has to get washed by somebody. That car still has to get charged. It may have to make it back into my garage at, at night. Maybe we can rig that up 
But if there's a university student that leaves a stinky McDonald's wrapper in the backseat, who's going to clean that up, right? Who's going to repair the car if it gets a flat? So one of the things that a lot of the autonomous guys are missing is who is the fleet management company? Forget, I know there's a big discussion over who should own them. You know, should, should Tesla own all of its cars and just have a giant robo-taxi fleet and be asset heavy? Or should they sell cars to Jason and Greg and just use them when Jason and Greg aren't using them, kind of like Airbnb does, right? Um, uh, that kind of thing. But all of the car manufacturers, at least that I've talked to, are very interested in having a rental car company do fleet management. I don't know if you've ever been to LA, right? But, or anyone has, but Hertz is a, is a 105 year old company. It bought land in LA in the fifties, right? And it got it permitted to do rental cars all over the place. If you live in Beverly Hills, no one's authorizing a big autonomous car charging a lot in their neighborhood. So a bunch of <laughs> empty cars can be running up and down the street. It's just right. going to happen. So I, I would say I deal with the least sexy part of the autonomous car business. And I'm not at all saying it's super valuable by any stretch of the imagination. But so it's not sexy, not the most valuable part, but it's necessary right for to, to have autonomous cars come out and when we've talked to the autonomous cars car guys for the most part i'm not saying for all parts they've all kind of scratched their heads that this is not something that's been part of their business plan so at least at least we're dropping knowledge on people who uh, uh who are gonna who are gonna change the world from an autonomous perspective are fuel cells interesting for you Everything that fuel cells, EV, everything that 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 happened, we haven't seen one that we think can be manufactured. Remember that we kind of have to take things that the general public is either used to, comfortable with, renting, ease of use, um, right? Yeah, and so and so I think that's probably longer tail and not ready for prime time. Would be would be my guess. Um, that that'd be my best guess as as to as to what happens. But when they're there, if they're more environmentally friendly, we're committed to doing it. You're all in. Yeah. Greg, if, if data, you mentioned this earlier, if data is the new gold. And if you know all of the data, then effectively you can change the world. Do you need to start discussions with OEMs, not about getting more cars, but about using data in the future? Yeah. I don't know that they have as much data as we have. So I think the conversation, they're more interested in our data. Um, so, you know, we, we, we may know where people drive the rental cars. I suspect that over time, so will the OEMs. So that's the data that everybody's looking at. Um, but we may know, for instance, when you are, when you're on the web searching, right, for where you're going to go, the OEM is not aware of where you're going to go. We are right? When you buy an airline ticket, for the most part, the OEMs aren't aware. When you're getting a hotel, they're not aware. Um, uh, because of our partnership with Amex, right, we can be aware sometimes of payments. So for instance, um, in Europe, there's this thing called duty of care, right? And Amex cards and Amex travel partner with each other. So we can tell companies where their employees are, based on swipe data. So every time you swipe your card, we know, okay, Jason was here, now he's here, now he hopped in an Uber, now he's paying at a restaurant here, so we can track the employees. By the way, that's not creepy, that's a law that the Europeans have, so that if there's a terrorist event or something like that, we know where everybody is and we can get them out. Um, and so I think we have a lot of data to help them with. And also it's unclear other, but, but for a few examples, like, you know, Instagram, Facebook type people that companies are big at hoarding the data and collecting the data. I, I don't know that they use it very, very well. Right. And so uh, we'll collect it all. We'll certainly partner with the OEMs on data. Um, uh, and I know they believe that the data of location data and where people are driving and what they're doing and how fast they're going and whatnot is very, very valuable. And I'm sure someone smarter than me can do something with it. But as to the rental car business, I think we're, we're doing okay in, term, in, in, terms of, in, in terms of that. I think we can help the OEMs understand what people are using cars for when they rent them. 
After the break, we'll hear more from Greg O'Hara, Hertz's chairperson and member of its board of directors, including the racing ambitions of his young son and a new major acquisition of Singer Vehicle Design. The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome back into Cars and Culture. I'm former automotive news publisher Jason Stein in Detroit. And now back to my interview with Greg O'Hara, Hertz's chairperson and member of its board of directors. You said that you are not into the sexiest side of the automobile business, but you actually just a few weeks ago ventured into one of the sexier sides of the automobile business. Tell me about Singer. Oh, uh, now you're, now you're, that's a softball for me. Uh, that's the sexiest um it is the sexiest and for those who don't know please greg tell them about singer and why you wanted to be involved with singer yeah so singer may may well make and and i say this not as an expert i say this as a fan before i bought the company um that singer may well make the best car in the world right so when tom and i started the business the, the, the business we were sitting and this is a true story no one believes it but it's true we sat down and said when the business gets to a certain point we should both kind of reward ourselves in other words demark the point that it was going to get and usually that's a watch or a trip or you know something like that and without knowing it we both wrote down that we wanted to buy a singer that was the thing that we wanted to do and so um Singer needed capital to expand. They've got a really long backlog, four or five year backlog. And, and there's a limit to how long anyone will wait for anything, you know, whether it's a Hermes bag or a Patek Philippe watch or whatever it is, there's a limit to how long they'll wait. Sorry, you're going to say something. And just explain, just explain exactly what you mean by buying a Singer, just for those who might not know. So, so uh, Singer is a... 1980s 1990s and soon to be different kinds so i don't want to ruin maz and rob's uh they take an older car and they completely rebuild it with better faster amazing the only way to describe it is they are watchmakers like to go see these things get made like even inside inside the car a piece you will never see ever 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 in your entire life is absolutely pristine or sandblasted in a way to make it beautiful the same way when you look in the back of a watch like a patek or a rolex or something like that you see the jewels and the movements and whatnot when the glass when when it's when when it's black um you know so so they they're they were self-funded for the most part and they wanted to go get a manufacturing facility so for those of you who are in the u.s um, we just expanded in a brand new facility in Los Angeles. Uh, we'll be, we'll be, uh, move, we gave them capital to do that. They'll be able to build the cars in America. Um, a lot of people, I don't call it this, but a lot of people call it the American Ferrari. And, and I, I can understand why. Um, and they'll be able to go to get more output out of those cars and be able to, sorry, they'll be able to output more cars uh, as a result of the new facility, they've just, so they make a classic, which is what I described. And then for more than $2 million, they make this thing called a DLS, which is kind of like a Porsche 911, but with all the weight stripped off of it, all carbon fiber, um, rigid gorgeous vehicles. Yeah. You can race it. Um, and then, you know, they're getting into things like watches and luggage and all kinds of stuff that, um, that people are fans of the car. Um, you know, I bought a lot of stuff in, in, in my life, but, and, it, and this isn't well known that I've invested in this company. And by the way, Maz and, and Rob still run the company. Like they're, they're in charge. We, we, we just invested alongside of them. They're, they're, we're fans and investors more than anything, but, um, what we wanted to do was give them enough ability uh, to be able to kind of realize their, their, their dreams for the company. And 
I have never been, I, I, I'm trying to think, I've never been involved with a company where people are more passionate about the brand than I, than I have been with Singer. It, it's pe people who I barely know are calling me, asking me how to get on the list, um, asking me what the next products are coming out. I won't ruin it. You should, you should have Rob Dickinson on the, on the show sometime. Cause he's, he's really interesting to talk to and I won't ruin what they're going to do, but, but they have products that are coming out that are just mind numbingly cool. Like just, but you're like an executive at an, you, you're like an executive at an automaker. Now you get to field all the calls for people who want their cars first. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. The, the, um, they're just friends that I happen to know. Like, like it would have been preferable. Like I'm not that cool a guy. So it would have been preferable for me that no one knows I no one know I, I, I invested in this. Um, I own a little pizza restaurant, half a little pizza restaurant, which might be America's best in, in uh, Brooklyn. And I, and I never tell anybody, same thing, people want tables, but I never tell anybody that I own it because it's a very cool place to go and I'm not that cool. So it's, it's, it's uh, better, for, better for the brand for no one to know I own it. Well, who an individual who is cool is your son, Henry, and he is, and he is racing. He is. What is he racing and when is he racing? So he's, uh, he's been racing for a few years now. Uh, he races uh, uh, Porsche GT4 Caymans Club Sports, um, doing really, really well. Uh, he's, uh, you know, won his first couple poles. Um, you know, apparently I wasn't there, but apparently this weekend got behind someone who taught him what blocking was. So he was faster, but got blocked out of the, uh, out of, and, and had, I think uh, his coach said he heard a few expletives that he's never heard out of Henry's mouth before uh, at the end of the race. Um, so he got a he's good 16, lesson. right, Greg? He's 16. He's 15, yeah. He turned 16 uh, in October. Um, not licensed to drive on the road yet, but licensed to drive on the track. So we've gotten into that. Um, we've been, you know, attending races uh, to watch some people. Um, you know, our partner in TripAdvisor, who I also know is involved in SiriusXM, um, also is involved in Formula One, Greg Maffei and John Malone. And, uh, and they're two of the, you couldn't pick better partners than those two guys. And they organized kind of a race weekend uh, for us to go to a spa in Belgium. Unfortunately, we didn't see a race. Um, it was a little wet there that day was canceled uh but we got to meet a lot of the people around the racing scene um and it was just a fantastic time for him and henry is couldn't be more stoked up about cars and I, all i'm trying to do is is play catch up uh, uh to what he's doing but we're I hoping mean, we'll go to gt3s next 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 year i mean you put him in front of lando norris that's true lando yeah. spent uh, a bunch of time with him after a crash uh, he crashed in qualifying, um, and uh, Lando's dad uh, uh, is uh, Adam is a great guy, and uh, we were having a dinner meeting at McLaren, and I didn't we didn't know Lando was going to be there, and he came up after. I thought he was going to be in the hospital, to be perfectly honest with you, and it just goes to show how safe those cars are because if you see the crash on television, it looks pretty serious. Um, and so maybe not the Verstappen Hamilton crash where they landed, <laughs> but it was Amanda's crash was pretty pretty big deal, and he was there and and uh, with bells on uh, that that night, and he spent a lot of time with Lando that that night and learned a lot of things about what it takes to be successful. And you really see when someone's that good at something, their commitment and dedication matters almost more than anything else. Talent's important; you got to have that, but. You don't get to where he is or where any of those guys are with a commitment and dedication. And, and I have a lot of respect for all of them. A couple final things. Are you a better investor than you are an operator? Yes, as a matter of fact. Okay. Um, I think, so the reason I paused is because all really good operators want to be investors and all really good investors want to be operators. And listen, I want to be a really good operator. Don't get me wrong. I, I do. Um, uh, but but I'd rather be, I'd rather do what I'm good at and leave the operations up to the experts. And for the most part, the best way to think about what I do is nose in, fingers out, right? Mm -hmm. So I kind of nose around, but I don't touch anything. We go back to the start of our conversation. 
how important will it be for a Canadian kid from Waterloo, Ontario to turn around an American icon like Hertz? Well, I, I've actually done that a couple of times. So I, we did it with American Express, um, but- um, But it's just, Hertz. Yeah, it is. I, I, for cars, Hertz is a big deal. For the world, Amex is a big deal, I, I'd say. Um, so first of all, I think it's an American icon, but moreover, it's a global company. It does business all around the globe. Um, you know, we're going to do better at Hertz. Um, uh, let me let me tell you, maybe this is a good way to end it, my, my philosophy. You know, there's tens of thousands of people that work at Hertz. And if we can make their life just a little bit better, right? You know, there's a union at Hertz that we want to have a productive relationship with there. And, and that means investment. You know, the, the best way for a guy who works in a union to tell whether or not the owners of the company have a long-term commitment is, are they making investments in the company, right? And that, that, that means they can't move locations, they can't do a bunch of different things that would, that would affect them. So we'd like everybody's quality of life to go up a little bit better, right? And, and those are the stakeholders of the company. And people listening to this may think I have this exactly backwards, I don't, right? The companies that get emergence from bankruptcy right take care of all their stakeholders kind of employees are right at the front of the line and right beside them at the front of the line are customers, right? And, and if, if, if I can change the customer experience and I have good employees delivering that experience, we'll, we'll win. The, the, the decisions that everybody spends time on, on what size the fleet to have and, 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 and do I have this car or that car, or do I have a great relationship with Kia, Kia and Hyundai, or do I have a great relationship with uh, Ford and Chrysler? Those things will all come because all those people will want to do business with a company that serves its customer really well and treats its employees really well. And I also think when you treat your employees well and your customers well, you get like somehow the universe rewards you karmically, right? And so we'll spend a great deal of time on those things. Um, if we get that right, I'll be proud of it. Like I'll be proud to be associated with it. Don't get me wrong, but I'll be a lot more proud by going around to all the Hertz to holiday parties and celebrations and whatnot um, and seeing people happy in their jobs. And I'll be even more proud when I go on TripAdvisor, which I have a big investment in alongside Greg and John, and see positive comment after positive comment after positive comment. And that's really what we're aiming for. If we can do those things well, we know we've got a successful company. The, the rest will take care of itself. Greg, we wish you the best of luck. We wish Henry the best of luck on the Thank track. You. And um, certainly the best of luck with Rob and Maz in the singer vehicle development piece All of your right. business. Thanks. Yeah. Exciting stuff. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Greg O'Hara, Hertz's chairperson and member of its board of directors. And thanks for listening to Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit, and we'll see you down the road.